So we are so thankful for you worshiping with us, Bethlehem Church, across our campuses. We're one church, many locations, one house, many rooms. And Won't Back Down is our call for this season. We believe the church of Jesus Christ is called to rise to the occasion. And so for us, our mantra has been we won't back down to the moment, the time God has called us to the space and the place. And so whether you're visiting with us with family and friends, whether you're part of Bethlehem week in, week out, and we're just a church that believes that we uh, have hope and we have healing and it's found in the name of Jesus Christ. And we are marching forward in this season. In fact, let me get us going to where we're going. What gives context to your life? And by context, the canvas your life is played out on is all about the communities you are connected to, the tribes you run with, right? Like what gives context and, and the canvas in which our life is played out on is all about the communities of people, the tribes of people we are connected to, whether loosely or deeply. So obviously, you know, it can mean your family, you know, it's a little more than a tribe, it's family, but the neighborhood you live in, right, the cul-de-sac uh, you live on, the people you grill out with, right, in the cul-de-sac. For some of us, it's the sports teams our kids play on, the ball teams our kids are weekend, and we got the gym that we're a member at, the dance studio your kids are a part of, right? Uh, for some of us, this type of year, some dudes in the room, if I see one or two empty seats, it's called a guy who's hunting this weekend, right? He's got an answer to God. The women did a conference here, and they were packed, right? Yeah. I got guys, you know what they do? They give me one hour, and I better feed them barbecue, right? The women gave a whole weekend of their life. This whole place was pink. It was unbelievable, right? And they had chicken salad chick, because that's from the Lord. And so uh, it was a big time. But wherever you're at, the tribe you're connected to, deeply or loosely, gives context to your life. And all the tribes, all the people, all the communities you're connected to, they're based on three things. Think about it. The place you live, right, the things you like, and the season of life you are in. All communities you're connected to, place you live, your preferences, the things you like, and the season of life you are in. Which means they're all temporary because all those things can change. And all those things will change. But there is one eternal community, if you're a Christ follower, you are connected to that precedes you and outlasts you, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the reality. It's the eternal community of God. It spans continent. It spans globes. Man, it spans, and the people of God have always marched forward. In fact, let me show you this right here. I've been reading, and by reading, it's a good resource. It's not something that's like light reading it's a book called Global Christianity that really is a snapshot of what's happening around the globe when it comes to the movement of Christ, when it comes to the church. And I, I had this kind of started reading around COVID when it came out, but it's a great snapshot. And in this book, it gives us a good picture. Do you know right now there are more than 8 billion, that's billion with a B, 8 billion people sucking, sucking oxygen on planet Earth, which means they're alive. There's more than 8 billion people alive and well on planet Earth. There's a little less than 380 million that make up to these United States of America, right? There's 2.5, a little less than 2.5 billion people who identify as Christian or part of the church or Jesus follower around the world. Now, here's what's fascinating. This chart comes from this book. When it comes to the percentage of Christians worldwide, what America makes up, like the movement of Jesus spans continents, spans globes, spans time zones. It's bigger than here. That reality, let me give you some news right here, that Christians in America make up a less than 11% of the world's population of Christians. 
Less than 11%. Why do I say that? <laughs> because we have very myopic vision. We have very nearsightedness. And what I mean is that oftentimes we think the center of the movement of God is in America, and it is not. It is not. So the church spans globally, historically, supernaturally, spans time zone. And here's what this reminds me of. Church, eternity is a really, really long time. Jesus talked about heaven and hell. Not me. Jesus talked about heaven and hell like they're real places. Not just figments of imagination, like they're real places. Eternity is a long time. But here's what this chart also reminds me. Heaven's incredibly diverse. It's a beautiful, diverse tribes, tongues, creed, nations, incredibly diverse. In fact, if diversity is not something you're comfortable with, then heaven's going to blow your mind. Like heaven's going to blow your mind. Like if you're a white Anglo-Saxon and looks like me, we're way in the minority. And some of you are like, what? I know, it's crazy. Way in the minority in heaven, right? Heaven's big. Right? It's God's people across all time and all place. But the reality is the church looks different in different places, always has, always will. But there are similarities. There are foundational principles. So if you have your Bibles, what we're doing in this series is what is true of the church then, what's true of the church now, Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is kind of where we're spending our time because it's the birth of the early church. If you have this notebook that we gave you that's kind of an update on everything we're doing at Bethlehem Church, it's page 21 and 22 is where we are. If you have your Bibles, the book of Acts. It's the movement of the church. Churches always look different, different expressions, different places. Different continents, different countries, different time zones, but there are some foundations, things that are the same, that are true of the church throughout time and no matter what, uh, where you're at. So what do you mean? The word church, Jesus actually coined the term the word church. We didn't. The word church is actually a Greek word, which is ekklesia, which was an assembly or a calling out of people for a specific purpose. And so if you're taking notes, when we talk about the church, and I know there's oftentimes People who have wounds, or church can kind of be a trigger word because of things that have happened to them. If that's you, we're glad you're with us. But the word church is Jesus' term that he said, Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to build my church. What he was saying is, I'm going to build a movement of my people, call them out for my purposes. That's what the church is. In fact, the New Testament is written to the church. Right, the New Testament, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, those are all local churches, local assemblies, right? Local assemblies. So Peter preached the gospel message, Acts chapter 2. People respond. They hear about Jesus, that he's the Messiah. 3,000 people were saved. They were baptized. Then they assembled, assembled together. They joined together. So the second thing that's always true of the church through all generations, all time zones, all places there's a movement of God's people, but here's the second thing. The church is always gathered to fulfill the mission of God. The church is always gathered to fulfill the mission of God. From Acts 2 till now, it's a called out people and it's a sacred assembly. God is building for himself a people. This gathering is sacred. Church, you're great at this. Bethlehem Church in a day and age when churches have a hard time gathering people, we have, you guys are just unbelievable at it, you're so unbelievable at it, we got to make more room to gather people, right? Because it's such a sacred reality. In fact, very individualistic society, let me smile here and say this, what you'll hear sometimes people say, it only happens in America. 
You don't see this anywhere else on the globe. Only happens here in our individualism. You'll hear people say, well, I'm a Christian. I just don't do church. Ooh, right? And some of you have been that. That's been you before in your life. You have friends that say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Christian. I just don't do church, which sounds really spiritual. Wow, wow. Right? Sounds right. i got to stop being sarcastic. Third service today. Forgive me, Lord. Right? <laughs> sounds really spiritual. But actually, it's biblically illiterate and it's naive. Like the idea of a, a Christian who, I don't do church. Sounds real, real. Okay, you figure something else. Reality is biblically illiterate. Let me, but let me bottom line it, okay? Let me bring it down my best Barrow County, my best Balton County, my best Oconee County. Let me bottom shelf what I'm trying to say here. A Christian that doesn't do church is like a Chick-fil-A sandwich without chicken. <laughs> She's with me. I heard you laugh. You with me, right? That's what I'm saying. Well, well Pastor, <laughs> I don't know a lot about church, but I know about Chick-fil-A. And you telling me a Chick-fil-A sandwich don't have chicken, what I'm telling you, that's not a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Exactly. Right? You're on to it. Because there, don't hear me saying this, the church is not just the gathering, it's not just the building, it's a people. Right? It's a people. So you got to make sure you get that right. Don't miss here. We oftentimes say, I go to. I go to Bethlehem or I go to wherever I go to. The church is not the building itself, it's the people. People don't enter the church. The church enters a building. But there's always been this sacred gathering. You see this, whether it's an open-air arena, whether it's a house in some ancient city or some part of the world in the third world part of the country, right? Whether it's an arena, whether it's a cathedral, whether it's a small country church in many towns we grew up in, whether it's a worship center like this, whether it's a warehouse that's been converted, there's always a sacred assembly. Why? The preaching of the word, encouraging, praying, worshiping like we just did, that builds the people. That's the church's mission, to build people. In fact, when I was in Israel in March, let me take you to the first ever church expansion project. If you're new to Bethlehem Church, we're expanding. That's what the Because Initiative is about relocating this campus, expanding. And what I would say is we're following what's true of the early church. Let me take you to the first expansion project of the church ever. Here it is, in Capernaum. This is the Apostle Peter's house that's been excavated in Israel, in Capernaum. 99% sure this is actually the Apostle Peter who preached the first message. This is his house, and this is my wife and I. We took pictures. This is his house in Capernaum. Right, 99% sure this is where he lived, right there in the church. They talk about if you go to the Middle East, you go to Saudi Arabia, you dig, you find oil. You go to Israel, you dig, you find stories. So this is Capernaum outside of Jerusalem, and this is Paul, or excuse me, Peter, the apostle. This is his home, 99% sure historians, archaeologists have shown. Now look at this. Here's what's interesting. This is a normal home, uh, rock, mud, right? They just kind of had a simple life, as you can imagine. But what's interesting about Peter's home is they continued having to expand the walls. In fact, here's my bad iPhone video of it. There's this wall, and then you expand back to this wall, and then they expanded back to this wall. Nobody expanded. They didn't do renovation projects in that time, right? Nobody expanded. Well, then what in the world is this? Because he continued having to expand his house. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the breaking of bread, and God added to their number daily. 
And as God added to their number, the church has always been committed to making room for one more. We're not doing anything new in our time, church. We're being faithful to the place God's called us to. Right? And the reality is that's the first. And then here's the other thing. The church is always scattered to live out the mission of God. So you are no less the church when you're at your company, when you're at your school, when you're in your neighborhood. We are being the church, living on mission. We gather to fulfill the mission of God, right? But we scatter to live out the mission of God. Be my witnesses. Be salt and light. You are the church. If you are in Christ, you are the church. And so in Acts chapter 3, I want you to see how God has uniquely positioned the church in human history to speak to the deepest need of the human condition. It was true biblically, it's true now. And I want you to see this in Acts chapter 3. There's this expansion, or I should, I should say, Peter and John have left, and they're out on their own. They've been devoted, been gathering together, Acts 2, then the, the church scatters. And I want you to see this picture right here, because it's powerful, in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, being the church on mission, you can pick up and read, and here's what it said. Now, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man lame from birth was being carried who they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So there's a man who's lame from birth. In the next chapter, chapter 4, what you will find out is this guy was actually more than 40 years old. Everybody who walked into the temple past this beautiful gate had seen this guy for years. He was a fixture. He was a homeless man that was lame, that he lived for the alms and the gifts of others. That's what you see happening. And you pick up and let's keep going. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. Listen to me. The people of God see people differently than the rest of the world does. Peter and John sees this man in his condition. Right, And they look at him and say, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, because that's the best he could expect in life, was to get something from them, to continue on with the next day doing the same thing. But Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, my man, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. How good is that? Right? Listen, you can only give what you got, by the way. You cannot give what you have not received. Peter wasn't a miracle worker in his own way. Peter had the gifts of Jesus that had changed his life, so he was speaking with something he had received. Peter wasn't physically hurt, but he was spiritually lost, and Jesus changed his life. And it's in the power of Jesus that he spoke to this man. So you keep on going. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat on the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what they had happened. This sets off a chain of events that we will follow. But I want you to see the dynamic later on in the series. But I want you to see this dynamic because this dynamic is true in every one of our lives. You have seen this play out. What this lame man desperately wants and what he really needs. Don't you think about it for a second. Just read that story. What does this lame man desperately want? The lame man wanted the question. He wanted to be supported in the condition that he was in. That's what he wanted. 
This lame man simply asked to be supported in the condition he was already in. He wanted more of the same. He just believed the best he had was getting money or food from somebody to make it to the next day so he could exist doing the same thing. A good day for him was money and food and the condition that he was in to keep on doing the same thing the next day. That was what he expected. And isn't that what life does to us? Hold on for a second. Lean in right here. Are we not conditioned when we think of the future, when we think of tomorrow, there's going to be more of the same? How many people am I talking to online or watching or across our campuses? If you really press here, when you think of tomorrow, you're just expecting more of the same. That's why we numb ourselves, right? That's why some of you drank yourself to sleep last night, and you've done it for years. Because your belief about life is just more of the same, and that's painful. That's why we're the most highly medicated people in the most sophisticated society ever. Why? We buy into the lie that we can expect more of the same. Why do we numb ourselves with Netflix every night? Go to bed numbing ourselves with Netflix every night. Why? We've come to believe that what we can expect from life is more of the same. That's where this guy's. What did he want? Just to get through to the next day. I wonder if we got down to it, how many of us, what our deep desire is, just want to get man, right to the next day. Just kind of continue on as is. But listen to me, but God had a different plan. God had a different plan. Jesus wanted to completely change his condition. He wanted to keep on keeping on like he always had because that's what he thought life was. But Jesus actually wanted to change his condition. And we get this. This dynamic between what we want that's legitimate and what we actually need. Parents in the room, back row, front row, raise your hand. Parents in the room, you get it parenting. What is parenting if it's not what our kids want versus what we actually know they need? Is that not what parenting is? And I'm talking about legitimate wants. Not, hey, I want a million-dollar house and a half-million-dollar sports car. Oh, yeah, that'd all be great. I'm talking about legitimately. Like, if I had this, life would be better. If we could just have this or be there, life would be better. We all have legitimate wants, but there's this dynamic between that and what he actually needed. And we think about it. We see this play out. For many of us, when it comes to marriage, let me tell you what you want. Many people come back to church because they want a better marriage. They want a happier marriage. They want the next three years to be better than the last three years. In the last three years, they did it without God, so they're trying to maybe, what if God, he can change things. What we want is a happy marriage, a better marriage. That's a good thing. That's a good want. It's a des we desperately want a happy marriage. Right? It's a good thing. But what do we actually need? Men and women, husbands and wives, what we actually need is to surrender our life to Jesus Christ to experience a brand new life. That's our deep need. The surface level, the surface level wants, we just want to be happy. We just want better. The deep need, though, is for our life to be changed by Jesus. The deep need is to be able to be aware of ourselves instead of always defend ourselves. Like actually see ourselves for what we really are and learn to forgive and be forgiven. What happens? Where does that come from? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has always spoken to the deepest need of the human condition. Right? The problem of the human heart, right? Or the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It's that reality that deep inside. Like our kids, what do we want? All of us, like a legitimate want you have for your kids. I want my kid to succeed. 
I want my kid to be happy. I've never met a parent that goes, man, I hope my kid, he's a failure. I just hope he flunks out, man. It'll be a blessing to my heart, right? I want him when he's 25 to be living off my dime. That's what I want for my kid. Some of you are like, Lord, give me a witness right quick. We want our kids to succeed. We want to be happy. We want to be confident. But you know what their deep need is? The deep need of the next generation? That their confidence doesn't come from likes on Instagram. That their constant, like their confidence doesn't come from looking at the life of some celebrity they're chasing on TikTok that's, on TikTok that's phony. They need happiness. What they deeply need is this idea that happiness isn't bound to your circumstance that people aren't always going to make you happy, but there's a joy in Jesus that's unshakable. That's the deep need. We oftentimes focus on the want, but listen to me. The church is given to speak to the deepest need of the human condition. It's why God gave us the church. It's why Jesus established it. We want our family to thrive. We don't want to just survive. We want our family to be functional. We're good at hiding that it can be a little bit dysfunctional. Can I get a witness? We want it to be functional. That's a good thing. That's what we want from our family. For our family, like, to thrive, not just survive. Not just to get by, but to actually enjoy. Our family to be functional and not dysfunctional. What we need is new habits. What we need is new rhythms. What we need is new priorities. What we need is new communication. Not just more of the same. That seems overwhelming. Because we've been doing life one way for a long time. It is overwhelming until you meet Jesus and you get empowered by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God begins to enable you to go after and chase things you wouldn't ever before. Why? That's the deep need. Listen, I've told you guys my story. I had anxiety when I started pastoring here. I never knew I dealt with it. And I was ashamed because I'm a dude and you're not supposed to deal with anxiety. If you're a dude, you're supposed to be tough and have it together. And so I, early on, I had anxiety. I really struggle with this. Hey, let me tell you what I wanted. I, here, here it is. It's really deep right here. When I had anxiety, here's what I wanted, my legitimate want, to not feel anxious. Wow. That was it. That's all I wanted. To not feel anxious. To sleep at night. Not to see triple when I got up here and preached to you guys. Blurry. I'm like, I'm going blind. No, I'm just anxious. I didn't know. What it was, but here's what I learned, and this is for free for some of you. I'm not even preaching on anxiety, but I'm about to give you something for free. You know what I learned? For some of you, this is why you came. I learned that all anxiety is is actually a fire alarm. All your anxiety is is a fire alarm. What I mean is it's actually not the problem, but there is a problem. Your anxiety is not your biggest problem. It's a fire alarm letting you know there is some problem going on down below. And what I really needed, you know what I really needed was inner healing. What I really needed was to work through some grief I'd never worked through. What I really needed deep down was to meet Jesus in a way that I never had and for him to heal some things in my life. My anxiety, I wanted to be rid of it, but what I needed was healing. You know where I got that? The church. Because Jesus gives us the church, right, to speak to the deepest need of the human condition. Talked to a guy two months ago sitting right back here 200 feet in my office who was battling addiction. He battled addiction his whole life. You know what he wanted? Legitimately wanted to be free of addiction. Some of you know this. It's your story. Well, he legitimately, he was addicted to, he was an alcoholic. He was a functional alcoholic. Here's how functional alcoholic he was. I'm talking to some of you. 
Here's how functional he was in his alcoholism. He had made millions of dollars, succeeded at selling and buying businesses for years in his alcoholism, but he lost his family and his marriage along the way. He was a functional alcoholic, and he was so needing to get rid of it. That was his desire. I don't want to be addicted anymore. He paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to the best rehab in our country over and over and over again. Why? Because he just wanted to be free of this addiction. Lean in right here. And he did it for years. You know what he deep down needed? He needed to meet the chain-breaking power of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. now. You, right, yeah, there you go. Okay. Now we're going to really clap right here. And when he met Jesus Christ, for three years he's been sober walking with Jesus Christ, right? I say all that to say all of us deal with wants and needs. Every one of us watching online, we deal with wants and needs. The church is uniquely given to, human, to speak to the deepest need of the human condition, right? Here's what I want you to put. God has never promised us to give us all that we want, even if our wants are legitimate. God's never promised to give, even if your wants are legitimate. I want this, I want this, I want this. It's not may not be bad things, but the promise is not just that you get everything you legitimately want, because we live in a broken world. But can I tell you this? God promises to his people is to give us all that we need. That he will meet us in our deepest place of need. That's the promise in Scripture. That's what the church has been given to. That's what we do. That's what you do. Jesus followers, we don't get everything we want, but what we do believe is we have a God that will meet us in our deepest need. And here's what I want you to see. That means God has positioned his church, the church of Jesus Christ, Bethlehem Church in our community, in human history to speak to the deepest needs of the human condition. No other entity, no other organization, no other group of people in our society speaks to the deepest need of the human condition outside of the church. Everything else is about quick fixes. Everything else is about service level therapy. Church gets to the deepest need. And you guys over and over have committed yourself to that. Our world, our culture will tell you the function of the church is to meet religious needs. What many of you believe, or have been taught to believe, that the church is there to meet your religious and your spiritual need. That's why the church exists. Jesus actually gave us the church to meet the deepest need of the human condition. Remember back in COVID when we talked about like the early days of COVID, like this company, this job is essential and these aren't. If you had an essential job, you could get out and about. If you didn't have an essential job, then you couldn't. And like everything in COVID, they never hold everything. They're never real clear on anything. They just was a lot of rules and nobody knew anything, okay? Essential. If you've got an essential job, you can get out and about. If you don't, listen to me. In Jesus' world, there's nothing more essential than his church. Because he gave it to the world to speak to the deepest need of the human condition. In fact, I read this this week. You're not going to have time to put this down. But I read this line and it reminded me of Bethlehem Church. If you've been in Bethlehem Church for some time, you are committed to this. Many of you, it's simply this. It's not the church's business in the world to simply make the present condition more bearable. All the lame man wanted, all he wanted was just to get through to the next day. That's it. That was it. More of the same. 
The church does exist to make your life a little better. Give you a little bit of happiness. Help you out a little bit with morality if that can help. Help your kids be good. That's not why the church exists. Jesus gave us the church, and the task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ to show them there's a different way. There's a better way. There's hope for tomorrow, and there's healing for yet from yesterday. That's why the church exists. In Bethlehem, you're unbelievable at this. Let me just brag on you across our campuses. We stepped out a year ago as a church collectively and said, we're going to follow in the line of the early church and make space for more. And the call was for 100% of Bethlehem Church to be generous. What do you mean mean generous? Give. What do you mean give? Financially. It's just for Bethlehem Church, people I'm talking to. If we will all give generously because we believe in the mission of the church, then everything we want to do can happen and we can expand and make room for more. And this is me as your pastor saying thank you. Y'all have been, hundreds of families, you know who you are, have stepped up and you give week in and you give week out and you're incredibly generous. And I say to you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because you joyfully give and in your joyful giving, the kingdom of God advances, right? And I am so thankful for you. In fact, the reality is this idea gets at the want and the need thing, right? Because everybody in this room, you know what we want? Everybody, front to the back. Everybody wants financial stability. All of us, like none of us are like, no, I'm not for financial stability. I'm for a box outside. <laughs> no. That's what we want, financial stability. Many of us want financial prosperity. Here's a newsflash. God's not against that, but God knows what your deepest need is. And your deepest need is to trust. It's why Jesus talked about where your treasure is, there your heart is, that you can't serve two masters, and the other master that he put out was money, Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell, more than he did faith and prayer. Like Jesus taught that where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is. In church, you have responded, and I am so thankful for that. In fact, let me let you hear the story, because Bill's a friend of mine who goes to our Oconee campus. Bill's at our Oconee campus this morning. And Bill talks about this dynamic of trusting God with everything. And that actually in a world that's all about what we want, we want financial stability, the question is what do we deeply trust? Who do we deeply trust? And when we trust, we give joyfully and we give generously, right? Because what that is is us giving ourselves away, us fighting our selfishness and trusting God. And so I want you to see Bill and his story of trust because it represents hundreds of families at Bethlehem Church who've chosen to trust God. Take it away, guys.
Give my man Bill a hand. Great. Just articulating the what. I love what he said. The giving's actually not about giving. It's about growing. Why? Because what we're learning to do is trust God with our first and best. You see it all through Scripture. Right? You see Jesus teach about it in Matthew 6 and all through Scripture. That what we want is financial stability, which means in our culture, especially in American money, becomes our God. And God wants us to trust Him. And so I want to say to the hundreds of families across all of our campuses, you know who you are. You give generously. You give joyfully. I want to say to you, thank you. I think I may be the only pastor in the history of the church that launched an expansion project a year ago. The first time I've mentioned money in a year is this Sunday right here. Because you're being so generous. Because you actually believe that we're doing God's work, expanding God's kingdom. So I just want to say thank you that you were given. For those of you who are new to Bethlehem Church, like new and like, this is my church. Visiting, this is not, I'm not talking to you. You never feel any obligation from us. But here's what, if you're new to Bethlehem Church, this is your invitation to be a part of what God is doing. What people always, and I shouldn't say people, sometimes there's this confusion that sits in people's mind. You're giving, and by, when he says giving, what does he mean? Financially, Ooh, right? That's what I'm talking about. Your giving has nothing to do with your relationship with the church. We love you. Your, relation, your giving has everything to do with your relationship with God. And you find in Scripture where you can argue against it. So before you go home arguing with your car with your wife, but the pastor asking for something, this is between you and God, not me and you. Right? It's between you and God, not me. It's amazing to me, the people of God, we can go and we can give 100 we can spend $100 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium to watch the Atlanta Falcons and buy a hot dog for 15 bucks. But the minute a pastor says something about us giving, he wants something from me. No, my brother, you're messed up in your head. I don't want anything from you. God wants your heart. In fact, let me give you two quick stories while I'm in a good mood, right? <laughs> and we'll be done. It's been a year since I talked about it, right? So let me give you two quick stories. Let me free you up. Again, visiting Bethlehem Church, we're glad you're here. New to Bethlehem, this is your invitation to be a part. By be a part, give in this. It takes all of us. And this church is so generous, and I say thank you. Two quick stories. Early on, uh, a guy, and this is like 2012, 2013. I was young, 32, 33. still didn't have any hair, but I was, I was young. And, you know, I'm learning to do this whole thing called pastoring. Church is way smaller. And, I'm, and, and one week, I'm preaching on giving like 2013, which I do about once a year, which is way less than Jesus did, but that's for free. Okay? And so I'm teaching on it, and this guy comes up to me. Preacher. Now, when any of you come up to me calling preacher, here's what I know. I've made you mad. Preacher. Here it goes. They call me preacher. Here it goes, right here. Preacher, son. I go, yeah, man. He says, preacher. He goes, every time I come, you talk about <laughs> giving. And I smiled, looked back at him, and I said, brother, that means you come once a year. <laughs> you think you're ratting me out, you're ratting yourself out. So, and the other thing was, preacher. Here's the other part, my favorite. Preacher. And this guy just wanted, and I've learned when everybody, when somebody comes at me and says, preacher. Here's what I've learned. Just agree with whatever they say next. Because it just kind of diffuses the whole situation. Right? Preacher, I think what you said is stupid. I agree. And he's like, really? Right? You know, you know, just so, if, you have, if I've ever agreed with you when you come at you, I'm just diffusing the situation. Okay? This guy comes up to me and says, preacher. I said, yeah, man. Uh, he goes, I, I just think, again, not that I didn't know this. He goes, people, young pastor, he just wanted to tell me how to do my job, and I appreciate it. He goes, Preacher. People don't want to be told what to do with their money. And I just looked at him and go, I agree. I agree. 
I'm not telling people what to do with their money. I'm talking to God's people about their heart. Jesus is the one that connected heart and treasure. And so the reality is, here's what I know as a dad. My three kids are sitting in here. I'm not a perfect father, but I want to be a good dad. I think if you ask them, is your dad a good dad, they would say yes. If they don't, they're liars. But I think they would say yes. I think they would say, yeah, he's a pretty good dad. Not a perfect, but here's what I know. My parenting with my kids, your parenting with your kids, here's what it all comes down to. They have these legitimate wants. I'm trying to parent to what they really need. That's the whole thing. Is parenting at the end of the day not about helping them decipher which one what they want, what they need? We don't have a good dad. We have a perfect father. We have a perfect heavenly father. Let me tell you about our perfect heavenly father. He knows exactly what you want. He knows exactly what you want, but he's committed to your deepest need. That's why more than anything in a world that says chase surface wants, he wants you to trust him with your deepest need. Bethlehem Church, when I think about the future, there's two types of people I know God is calling us to. There's two types of people that define our community. Two categories. It's just my way of simplifying things. When I think about the future of Bethlehem Church, here's what I know. There's a ton of people in our culture, tell me if I'm wrong, that are looking for hope for tomorrow. They just want their tomorrow not to be their yesterday. They just want fear not to define their future. That their future doesn't have to be their past. They're looking for hope. Like, I, I don't really know in our world. Think about it. You, you point to it and tell me, I'm not sure what's giving hope in our society. I know it's distracting. I know it's giving false hope. I know it's giving hype, but I don't know a whole lot of places that are trying to give genuine hope for tomorrow. And here's the second thing. Other group of people, healing from yesterday. They just want to know. There's a group of people, listen, that want to know the labels they came into the house of God with is not the labels they live with. But the shame that they carry from choices they made doesn't have to be their future. So if that's the truth, here's what I believe across all of our campuses. You and I are called Bethlehem Church to be a people of hope. And I think this place more than ever is called to be a place of healing. The people experience the hope that's in Jesus and the healing that comes when you have a relationship with God. Will you stand with me? And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us and lead us in a prayer. It's going to be really simple as we close. Nobody leaving. Just want to lead you in this prayer. The lame man wanted his condition to be extended. But Jesus wanted to change his condition completely. So I want to I end with this prayer. So prayer I just put together. We're going to put this on social media this week for you to pray. Because we all know the dynamic between what we want and what we need. So here, here's the prayer, the first part. I'm going to read it to you. It just says, Father, I acknowledge that you know my every want. That you know them. You know my every want. You know what, like, what I want you to know is God sees you. The sovereign God of the universe knows legitimately if I had this, if this would happen, if this could happen, if this just, if I had, things could be different. Sovereign God of the universe sees that. I just want us to acknowledge, sometimes we're like, does anybody see me? Does anybody know? Is there a God? And I am saying to you, God knows exactly the legitimate wants in your life. Let's pray this. On the count of three together. One, two, three. Father, I acknowledge that you know my every one.
We believe that. There's a God in heaven that knows you personally. But here's the second part. In this moment, I'm choosing to trust that you're the God who's faithful to meet my every need. I acknowledge you know my want, but I know you're not committed to give me everything I want, but I do know that you're a God who will give me everything I need. That you are a God that can be trusted and you will meet my every need. So I want us to read this together as a prayer. And here's my challenge as we close. The Bible says they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do not pray this prayer casually, but let it be your prayer today. That he knows what you want, but he's committed to meeting your every need. And that this week that you would believe that in your job, in your family, in your marriage, with whatever you're dealing with, that there's a God who wants to meet you at your deepest point of need. In fact, as I pray this, prayer teams, go ahead and begin to make your way down front as we close. So I pray this, prayer teams, go ahead and begin to make your way down front. Here it is. We're going to pray this together. On the count of three, one, two, three. Father, I acknowledge that you know my every want. In this moment, I am choosing to trust that you're a God who is faithful to meet my every need. So, Father, I thank you for this church. And, God, I thank you that you are a God that we can trust in every part of our life that this week you would teach us anew and again. Lord, you have positioned the church to speak to the deepest need of the human condition. That you've given you, you've given us, your church, us, the body of Christ, to speak to the deepest needs. So whoever's wrestling with some deep needs in this room, Father, we pray they find freedom in you. God, you bring freedom, you bring hope, you bring healing, because that's what Jesus does. God, that we would not settle to exist in the condition that we are in, but we'd actually believe you want to change our condition completely. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and across all of Bethlehem Church, everybody said. So every week we end with prayer teams. If we could pray over you, pray with you, don't rush out. We would love to do that. Something going on in your life. Maybe you have questions about relationship with God. Last week, you get, we always get to pray with people who are saying yes to Jesus. So these prayer teams are here. Love to pray for you. Man, if I had met you, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the living room. Be blessed. Look at somebody to your right or your left and tell them, be blessed. And you guys have a great weekend.